bet you know this song. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Keep going. In my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Choir rehearsal is Thursday night at 7. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what it means to be a Christian, a disciple, someone who doesn't just talk the talk, but who walks the walk with Jesus. And we've been using the following definition of discipleship. In response to God's loving invitation, a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ for life who is committed to becoming more like Jesus, to being a part of the body of Christ, and to joining Jesus in ministry. Two weeks ago, I suggested that a follower of Jesus is someone who knows and has a relationship with Jesus, who pays attention to Jesus, and who trusts him. Last week, I urged us to be intentional about becoming more like Jesus, though it is indeed the work of the Holy Spirit to move us past a now I lay me down to sleep faith, a faith that we had in childhood, and to help us grow in Christ-likeness, this lifelong process requires our cooperation to be fully realized. And to that end, I encourage and continue to encourage each of you to participate in a learning experience, preferably in a small group. Last Sunday's bulletin contained a survey asking for your input um, so that our church might develop learning opportunities that will be helpful for you, and that survey is included in today's bulletin, and if you didn't have a chance to fill it out last Sunday, by all means, I hope you will do it today. Meanwhile, we are talking this morning about the third segment of this definition, being a part of the body of Christ. In her uh, 2013 online blog, Reverend Janet Hunt, a Lutheran pastor pastor who serves in DeKalb, Illinois, told about an experience she had while staying with her father in the hospital after he had undergone open-heart surgery. She writes, A group of of friends from his church had come to see him. As I remember it, they stood awkwardly around his hospital bed, fumbling for words to say. Pretty soon, one of them offered to pray, and once he was done, they did not take long to head for home. This was a kind group of people. They had traveled out of their way to make this visit, and they had to coordinate their schedules to do so. Still, they stumbled as they spoke, clearly uncomfortable at seeing my normally gregarious dad hooked up to all kinds of tubes and wires and looking so very discouraged. They were not terribly good at it. I must say. But I quickly learned that it didn't much matter. For no sooner had they left the room than my dad turned to me and speaking with great conviction, he said, anyone who doesn't have a church home is stupid. (laughs) Okay, that's pretty blunt, maybe a little off-putting. And yet, Janet goes on, he meant what he said. For he had experienced over and over again what love looks like in the company of God's people. The kind of love that shares time, resources, hopes, and prayers. 
Love lived out through the sort of people who, though far from perfect, did what they could to build up, to support, to simply walk alongside. People who try to live the kind of love that Jesus points at to in our gospel lesson for today. My dad had given and received this over and over again. And he could not understand why everyone wouldn't go out and find that given half a chance. Reverend Hunt's father knew what it is meant, what it meant to be a part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ. That's a pretty familiar metaphor to those of us who've grown up in the church, which likely means that we use it without really thinking about it. Let's talk about what that might mean. The image of the body as a metaphor for the church appears in several New Testament books, most notably in a letter to a congregation that the Apostle Paul had founded in the city of Corinth, the letter from which Glaffy read this morning. This particular congregation was made up of all kinds of people, Greek or Gentiles and Jewish converts, wealthy and poor, freemen and slaves, men and women. Sadly, however, the well-being of that congregation was threatened by a number of issues. And among other things, some were creating divisiveness by claiming, first of all, that they belong to this person or that person. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Christ. I belong, and that makes me a better person, a better Christian. And they were also claiming to have superior spiritual gifts, a matter that Paul seeks to address in the 12th chapter. Listen, he tells them. There are varieties of gifts and services and activities, but they are all given by the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, and all of them are meant to be used for the common good. He goes on, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were made to drink of the one spirit. Remember, he tells them and us, remember your baptism. Remember, in the words of Raywin Whiteley, we come to the water baptism as individuals, independent and relatively self-contained, we come out of that water changed. Our identity is no longer solitary. We can no longer be truly known without reference to that community into which we have been incorporated, the body of Christ, the church. After baptism, we are more than ourselves. We are by definition beings in relationship. In relationship with God and Christ and in relationship with one another. Our walk with Jesus is not a solitary journey. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, Life Together, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus himself did not use the image of a body to refer to his disciples. Instead, he used the metaphor of a vine and branches to describe the relationship between himself and his followers. However, both metaphors, body and vine, tell us that our connection with Jesus and each other is meant to be vital and growing and life-giving. 
Furthermore, it was Jesus who, de- who established the defining characteristic of our relationship with each other, and that is love. I give you a new commandment, Jesus tells his disciples, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. And he goes on, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you remember when Jesus said this? It was at his last meal with the disciples. Just a short while after washing their feet and just after Judas left the table to betray him. Theologian David Lose writes, which tells us, I think, a great deal about the kind of love Jesus is talking about. This surely isn't romantic love, nor is it simply being nice, nor is it only loving those who love you back. Think about it. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, Judas was there. When he fed them from the table, Judas received that meal. Further, Jesus will now demonstrate just how much God loves the world by dying for those who manifestly do not love him. Love is hard because it is self-sacrificing. It means putting the good of the other first, even when it hurts. In other words, to love is a choice. That thought sends me back to Paul's letter. He reminds the Corinthians that each and every part of the human body is necessary to the well-being of the whole. The eye cannot say to the hand, he writes, I have no need again of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand that each person in their congregation was important, that each had gifts to share for the good of all. Each person in the body of Christ, then and now, is important and has gift to share, including each one of you. Paul goes on. If one member suffers, all suffered with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice with it. That's certainly true in our physical bodies. Last Monday night, oh, my sinuses were acting up. How did I know that? Because my teeth and my gums were aching. My sinuses aren't there, but they were. And because of that pain, I had a lot of trouble sleeping. What happened to one part of my body, my sinuses affected my whole body. Likewise, when some Advil relieved that pain, my whole body could rest. (laughs) And so it is to be, Paul writes, in the body of Christ. Easier said than done, of course. To empathize truly with someone else's suffering, to choose to be present to pain is difficult. It is simply human nature to try and protect ourselves from the experience of suffering. And so often, well, we just don't know how to help. Even when we work up the nerve to make a hospital visit or offer a prayer, we feel as though, gosh, we have to be positive that we have to refrain from saying something that might cause that other person to feel worse. But sometimes that's exactly what is needed, an acknowledgement of the other's suffering, an honest expression of empathy, a willingness to be present even silently in the midst of pain. To do these things is to choose to love. 
Likewise, to rejoice when another is honored is to love. You know, it's funny. Sometimes when something good happens to another person, we're glad for them. But there are other times when we're kind of jealous of the recognition that they, or the blessing that they've received when we feel a little slighted or overlooked because we haven't received that same, the same thing. When petty grievances prevent us from rejoicing in another's good fortune. To rejoice truly with another, to empathize with their joy, especially in those situations, is truly a choice to love. I invite you to take a couple of minutes and think of a time when you chose to love this last week. Perhaps you looked out for a coworker's interests or overlooked the slight of a friend or devoted your time and energy to help someone. Maybe it was a big act of love. Maybe it was just a small gesture. When did you choose to love this past week? I'm just going to let you think about that. Now I invite you to think of a situation in which you found it difficult to love. Maybe it's been hard to forgive someone who hurt you or to move beyond a disappointment that someone caused you. Maybe you pulled away from someone in need. When did you find it hard to make the choice to love in the last few days? I ask you to remember both things because as David Lose writes, the truth of the matter is that we do love regularly and we do fail regularly. And church, I think, should be a place where we can give thanks for the former and pray about the latter. Why? Because of Jesus' love for us. Jesus didn't just talk the talk when he told his disciples to love one another as he has loved them. He walked the walk. He gave this command just a few hours before he would be arrested, tried, tormented, and killed for us. He went to the cross to show us just how much God loves us, even when we ourselves fail to love. God in Christ loves us no matter what. And that sets us free to be the body of Christ, grateful for the gifts we each have to share, supporting and empathizing with each other in good times and bad, and by the grace of God, choosing to love again and again and again in his name. Listen again to the words of Paul and Jesus and take them into your heart. You are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the midst of a world rent by conflict and division, we need to be the body of Christ, choosing to love however imperfectly so that others might see us 
and in turn choose to love. Let us walk the walk with Jesus together.